You are now listening to Asking for a Friend with Talk Doc, sharing insights through real, honest, and practical ways to improve your communication and relationships. Featuring your hosts, Dr. Pamela Kreiser, Meredith Edwards Nagel, and Taylor Polendo. So, yeah, we should probably start. How angry is everybody right now that you're on a podcast? <laughs> I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah. <laughs> It's a cool experience. I'm excited to see what we give and what, what I learned from all of you. Nice. So yes. Dr. K or Taylor, are you kicking off the... Uh, oh, I'll end it to Dr. Stand? K. And I'll ping pong it to Meredith. Go ahead, Meredith. <laughs> oh. Oh. oh, great. Oh, oh, I'm doing this. <laughs> so Chris and Carrie, so nice to meet you, Carrie, and see you again, Chris. Hey. I'm so glad to have you guys here. And I'm also nervous. I can't lie. <laughs> Really? Uh, yeah, I'm nervous. I, I mean, but I'm no. but I'm so but I'm excited to learn. So before we get started, I just want to say thanks so much from the AFAF crew. Just look forward to getting to know you a little bit. We have some questions for you about the subject of anger. But before we get into that, can we ping pong here between the two of you and take turns? Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Hey, real quick, is Lauren Conrad on this one? Am I on the right podcast for asking for a friend? <laughs> <laughs> I well knew that was going to come up at well some done. point. So you know what? <laughs> I was searching Already, for you guys online and I saw that and I was like, oh, all right. Look, way to go. <laughs> this is way Except cooler. For, I think <laughs> we're, we're, we beat in searches for asking for Yes. Mm, nice. Nice. If anyway. So Chris, you want to go first? No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with Carrie. She's okay. way cooler than I am. I mean, we'll take it. If you want to follow this, okay. Um, <laughs> so I am a marriage and family therapist. I've been licensed uh, maybe 10-ish years and working in Orange County. I, let's see, what do you want? Do you want to know my qualifications or my diagnoses? <laughs> <laughs> Your um, own diagnoses or yeah, like the most yeah. recent one you passed out or? <laughs> it's what, what, what do the people really want to know, right? They want the dirt. They want what are your diagnoses? Definitely. Yeah. So I have been doing this for about 10 years and I love it. And working in Orange County, I have come across a lot of high functioning anxiety. And so I, I chose to kind of just lean into it and specialize in it. And so I like to say, I work with people pleasers, perfectionists, and overachievers, mm. and they are my favorite clients to work with. At home, I am married, have been married for 15 plus years. I've lost track. Been together for like 20. We do not have kids, but we do have a fur baby who is at work right now. He is a therapy dog for my husband's fire department and just a wonderful creature to have around. But so any questions about kids, I'm going to definitely throw to Chris because he <laughs> beats me. He's got three. I've got zero. So all kid questions will go to him. But my background, I did specialize in teens for a while. So mm -hmm. if there are awesome. any specific teen questions, that is an area that I can speak to. That's amazing. Yeah. You. you guys are so lucky that Carrie's here. I've, I've brought her. <laughs> we are. I'm serious. I've brought I'm her excited. on to a few different things before from some of my professional experience. And every time universally, oh, bring, bring Carrie back. Like Aww. she was the best. So she is outstanding. You guys are lucky that she's on this podcast. Ooh, so hopefully we can bring Carrie back. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Love it. Cool. Well, I'm Christopher Ferris. I'm assuming I can go now. I don't want to jump ahead of anybody. It's your, your turn. turn. Yes. All right. Very good. Hi, everyone. I'm Christopher. Nice to meet you. Should I talk into the mic like this? Like, hello, it's Christopher. Like, <laughs> Use your therapist voice. I'm oh, a, do you have one? Do I what? Have, have a, a therapist, therapist voice. voice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about that, Christopher? <laughs> wow. Awesome. Can, we just, can we just lean into that for a moment? Oh, this is dumb. <laughs> It's sorry. <laughs> so good. Um, yeah, I uh, I'm a licensed therapist. I've been I think I've been licensed since about 2013, but I graduated in 08 and started seeing people. I worked in East LA for a couple of years with uh, families and kids that were at or below the poverty line, and then uh, moved more towards a traditional private practice type of a, a world. I heard a lot about this thing called EMDR and got mm -hmm. really fascinated by it after working with some clients with some significant expressions of their own traumas and got certified in it, fell in love with it. I practice with it 
all the time. I love it. And use also a lot of other methods for therapy relating to cognitive behavioral therapy and all that kind of stuff. So big fan of those modalities work with kind of similar population actually as Carrie. A lot of high functioning anxious folks, I can relate to them a little too well at times. I used to be an adjunct professor at Azusa Pacific at two large churches in the area. I ran their peer counseling ministries, which is different than therapy, but I oversaw implementation of those ministries as well as being in my own private practice where I am now. I'm in uh, Santa Ana, California, an office with my dad and we share an office. And then I've been married almost 19 years as of November would be 19 years. And my wife and I have triplets who are seven years old. And then as was kind of alluded to earlier, I'm just, I'm big on the arts. So music, filmmaking, video creation, all that kind of stuff. I I could get lost. I'm I'm the guy that could do this for hours. Wow. Very good. Welcome both of you. We're so excited to have you. Thanks. So triplets. Yeah. Triplets. Oh, yeah. Boys, girls. All girls. I'm, wow. I'm since significantly outnumbered in my household, and I love it. So my mom was an identical twin, and my husband's mother is also a twin. Okay. Uh, but my, my mom and her sister, the twin sister, had a double wedding. So maybe triple wedding coming up for your Whoa. family? Hey, if they want to, and if it's what makes them happy, that sounds great. Um, just, just one big... Giant event. Maybe you could get a deal because that's going to be expensive. (laughs) I just, yeah, I love, I love them. And and they're just silly, wonderful kids. Yeah. Awesome. They don't struggle with anger now, do they? Oh, I got a lot to say about that. (laughs) I think cognitively, we know that everyone's different, but with multiples, I have two identicals and one's fraternal. So there's two embryos Mm -hmm. in the womb, one split. They all are very different in how they express what they feel, but it's just so interesting as a therapist to watch my kids deal with identifying and showing their emotion, particularly when they're flooded by that emotion Mm -hmm. and learning how to to respond to that can be really challenging. And I think a lot of adults don't learn that skill in their their lifespan or or they wait a long time to. And so I see some of myself and my kids, you know, with Mm -hmm. with anger and getting flooded and all of that. And it just kind of speaks to the the nature of the way that anger affects us and how we communicate it. Mm-hmm. I want to jump so far in, but before we start, can I hear how you both define anger? What does that mean? What is it? What is this thing? <laughs> yeah. So I do so much more. I spend so much more time describing it than I do defining it. Being intensely bothered by a perceived injustice is I think the definition mm-hmm. that I liked the best, mm-hmm. that it's especially the perceived part. You know, everybody's got their own view of the world and of themselves and others. And, and so it's that perceived part that's important. But, you know, as we spend as therapists spend a whole lot of time of how others experience it. And so for those, whether they have an emotional vocabulary or not, is describing what does their body feel? What is anger to them all the time, especially with teens and parents? Teens, I find will say like, why are you angry with me? And the parents are like, I- I'm not angry. I'm not angry. And there's this disconnect of this perceived anger too in relationships. Mm-hmm. So yes, disturbed by a perceived injustice. I had the exact same response actually as Carrie, which was, I know it when I see it, I can describe the effects of it and what it's mm-hmm. like to feel it. But definition wise, so I actually went to Google and I, I liked Google's definition, which is it's a strong feeling of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility. I was like, mm-hmm. eh, that works, you know, all of those things. Mm-hmm. The physiological part of anger is the part that I think is where this gets really interesting because we have one part of our brain that's processing the emotion and the other part that's processing the thinking. Oftentimes you'll feel all of this emotion, you'll behave, but afterwards when you go like, what were you thinking? You're like, I don't don't know what I was thinking because Mm -hmm. a part of my brain that controls the thinking wasn't actually in charge in that moment. Mm -hmm. And so once you realize that there's these multiple processes, I mean, our brains are computers that are always downloading information and they're sending all of that information to our bodies. And essentially, I think our brain's job is to say, stay alive, dummy. And so it's, it's giving us signals <laughs> that help us do that. So when Mine we're angry, we get flooded. <laughs> there's all this physiological response, all this fight, flight, or freeze stuff. You can read every book and get every good piece of advice and all of that. But if you ignore what's happening in your body, it's really not going to do much because the part of your brain that uses all those tools is overridden in that moment. You know, there's some offense you got to play before you do some defense. As humans, we are meaning-making machines. Also part of that is the story we are telling ourselves about what just happened. There could be an event and it could be quite neutral, 
But depending on that person's background and how they've been hurt, how they've been, you know, injured in the past emotionally, they now perceive this event in a certain way that other people might not perceive that event. Mm -hmm. To Chris's point, our body reacts before even our thinking brain is able to like think, okay, is it wise to punch this person in the face? (laughs) What are the consequences of my actions here? Our body tells us something before even our thinking brain tells us. We often think of the brain as one cohesive unit, but really it's parts that communicate with each other. And some parts are slower than others. And not all parts of the brain are smart, to be honest. Chris said one part is just to keep you alive. Am I misunderstanding that a lot of anger is out of our control then? The feeling is yes. The impulse, yes. What we do with that anger is well within our control. So it's the experience sensation is what's not? Correct. So is it the next part that we have control over then? Yes. I, you know, in fact, I listened to your last week's podcast and I I feel like this, this connects to it so well, because you talked a lot about regulation. You are not bad for feeling angry about something. Even if later you're like, why was I angry about that? That was so dumb. You're not bad for it. I have a lot of clients that feel shame for what they feel. You feel what you feel. It's really not in your control, but what you mm-hmm. do with it yeah, that's is. Right. So we, I think, tend to have a very kind of negative association then with anger. Mm-hmm. Is it good ever? And if so, why? Emotions in and of themselves aren't good or bad. They are. Anytime I feel something, one thing that I've loved about how I've, you know, my own personal growth that's really been helping me is to be more curious and less condemning of, of what I feel. <laughs> so meaning, meaning is ascribed to things because of emotions. If I feel angry because of an injustice real or perceived, that's because there's meaning in that experience. It would be a right response, if anything, to feel angry about that injustice. You have to look at the emotions as, as there's meaning that's attached to all of this stuff. If we, if we perfectly could always turn off our anger at any moment, that might be really unnatural. But every time I feel anger, even if I well up with rage, it still does not give me permission to exact that feeling physically or by harming others or breaking things, you know, et cetera. There's serious consequences to all of that. But feeling it is different. And someone who feels it, I think the big word that you got to go to is the word flooded. And, and that's, that's the part where essentially your whole system is just overwhelmed by this, this experience where your thoughts, is, your thoughts aren't very clear mm-hmm. and your, you know, your processing isn't really all, all there. So in the therapy room, a lot of it is I'm tasking my clients not with, is it, was it good or bad to feel angry? Or why do I feel angry all the time? It's more like, well, I'm curious about it. What, mm-hmm. what, what do you think it's saying? What, what do you think it means? On Modern Family, there's a joke where, you know, one, one character is yelling at the other one. And they're like, I think sometimes you're yelling because you don't feel hurt. And I'm like, <laughs> that, that's, a funny, that's a funny thing to say, but actually it's kind of true too. So, you know, a lot of times people are yelling because they don't feel like people are listening. Otherwise, mm-hmm. why would you raise your voice? I think God made people in his image and God gets pretty angry at times. I think I'm expressing something even spiritual uh, about mm-hmm. how I'm made as well when I feel it. When you really dive in with people on, on anger, when you really kind of go through it, anger is just what you see on the surface. It's usually not about anger. It's usually mm-hmm. about something else. And I think if I just go straight to anger's bad, put it away, I miss all this other stuff like pain or grief or sadness or loss. If I stub my toe when I'm walking down the beach and I yell the F word, people might think like, oh, that guy's really angry, but I'm reacting to pain. You know, that, mm-hmm. that's, I think, in a similar way emotionally what might be happening or wanting justice you were saying Mm -hmm. before Carrie. that's if i bypass the quiet that angry feeling i miss that thing in me that says well i'm wanting to make things right yes in fact we often think of the problem with anger is is the the violent people and certainly that is Mm -hmm. a problem but there's another extreme and as a people pleaser recovering people pleaser myself (laughs) people pleasers are some of the angriest people Mm. but you will never know it it is a quiet resentment because they won't say that they're upset. You, you can, you can offend a people pleaser and they will still smile and they will still be polite and you will have no idea that you offended them. Now there Mm -hmm. might be passive aggressive things that you find later, like, Oh, they're not returning my calls. 
But as far as addressing it and confronting it, not usually with people pleaser. I've had a therapist in my own personal therapy work with me on expressing my anger more because as a people pleaser, I am afraid of my anger. It's a catalyst for change. Anger can be good. Are you afraid of it because of the unfamiliarity with it? Or are you afraid of it because of the intensity of the emotion? For me, I'm afraid of the disconnect that I perceive that it will create in my relationships. Okay. So, and, and I know like just from a communication standpoint, we know that if we don't regulate our anger, other people's defenses shoot up, right? And so mm-hmm. we can't be as productive. I know this and I understand this. And so it's like this belief I have that people won't like me if I'm angry or people will be mm-hmm. afraid of me. Or, and so as a people pleaser, I'm going to stuff that. And so you'll find me shutting, you'll find me (laughs) shutting down more than getting angry. And that shutting down is actually Mm. to protect me from getting angry. I'll snap and I'll get real snarky with my mom, but I have a shutting down response because then she feels bad. And then I feel guilty for hurting her feelings (laughs) and that never goes well. So I actually now shut down instead of getting mad and and I need to be able to get mad, but I need to express it productively. So what would you say in your, both of you and your therapist voice to someone (laughs) that Hmm. may be recovering people, please, or myself, who knows? Asking for a friend? That's just asking for a friend. (laughs) Yeah, I I was talking to a friend earlier. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know what you're talking about. Not Taylor. What about, you're talking about, I'm afraid to express my anger because someone won't like me. But instead of that thought, what about, I'm afraid to express my anger because I don't know how to do it in a way that's productive because mm-hmm. the way it was modeled for me was just explosive. Mm-hmm. If I show anger the way is normal for me, I know it's not going to be productive. So I just shut the whole thing down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you learn to harness it? Like you, we were saying, it's not good or bad. It just is right, Chris. Yeah. This, so yeah. then how do you learn to harness it or direct it in a way that can be productive or a useful emotion, not just this thing that's just negative or we don't deal with or face. Yeah, it's really complicated, but I think that speaks also to the process of how we behave and act and live as humans is that all of us have gone through experiences that inform what's there. I relate to what Carrie's saying that when I feel angry, I'm afraid of what that's going to do in a relationship, even though the reality is I have no evidence for any time where I've been angry with someone and they said, you're too angry for me to be friends with you anymore. (laughs) I've never had that experience. And yet I feel like it's certain situations I'm this close to having that experience. That irrational fear is a big part of it. If I understand your question correctly, what do you do if you're afraid of it? Because the way that it was modeled to you is going to be repeated. Is that your kind of where you're going with that? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know that that's a guarantee. I mean, there's my parents modeled a lot of things to me that I haven't repeated. And I would guess that you've got a lot more control than you might give yourself credit for looking at what are good ways to, to be angry. I've had clients in my office before literally get on their knees in front of the couch and then they just beat the hell out of the couch for a few minutes. We're not hurting them. We're not breaking stuff. It's a cushion or screaming into a pillow or whatever. And it might sound silly. Like, no. okay, what movie did I just watch? You know, where the, <laughs> they made fun of that. And yet at the same time, it's so cathartic or just how many people in my background grew up, you know, where you can't say the word fuck, you know, or, or whatever, <laughs> because then, then there's <laughs> like dire the spiritual consequences, you know, that, that are going to happen. Yeah. And, and yet at the same time, when you say that word, it's actually pulling from a different part of your brain than other words do. It's, it's expressing something. So I, I don't good. know. Yeah, it's kind of important. I think just because your parents modeled it one way doesn't mean you're destined to repeat it. But often, let's be real, we do repeat what we learned growing up. Part of it is I think one of those things you go slow on and you talk it through and, and you talk it out. But I would encourage, you know, in terms of like mindfulness practices, what would it be like to drop into your body in that moment and to start learning that skill to go, where am I feeling my anger? Is it my stomach? Is it my throat? How am I feeling it? And what do I want to do? And starting to learn these new anger skills, that to me, I think could be really a a productive thing. The trauma of what you experienced, if you grew up in a home where there was that that takes some time in in counseling and, and, and otherwise to work through some of those things in order to bring some relief. I'm really encouraged by what I see in my own practice, but also what I've seen in my own life personally, where, you know, whether it was modeled to be perfect and to never be angry or seeing people come in with rage, it can be really tough. When you look through your history in your adult life, 
with your relationships, how has anger come out for you so far? Mm-hmm. And in the way that it's come out so far in your life, when you look at the history and you look at the evidence for it, do you have anything that concerns you? So are you impulsively getting into fights with people? Are you abusive emotionally to others? Those are like the stronger ends of this, right? But I think that that maybe all or nothing thinking might be what we're fearful of, that we're going to go into full-blown, yeah. I'm now a dangerous person. And that, that just may not be true. You earlier talked about this idea of being curious. Just to kind of repeat back what I thought you said, you said maybe start with the body and talk about where am I feeling this? How am I feeling it? And then I heard you also say examining your history and seeing where it's shown up or not shown up would be an additional way to get curious about this topic generally. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Good reflective listening, by the way. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Just doing my job. This is the talk doc for sure. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I think, you know, I mean, that's speaking to the cognitive part and it's also speaking to the biological part. And I think that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's the good old CBT part of it. I can't tell you how many times I've had a client sit down and we get into phase one of EMDR, which is where you get into these exercises for developing like a calm, safe sort of center of gravity. Mm -hmm. And when you get into that initial part of EMDR, the amount of times I've had clients almost fall asleep on my couch because they get so relaxed. If you're listening right now or watching this right now, if you close your eyes for a second and just scan your body from head to toe and just just kind of take note of what's there, and I'm going to rush us through this. But if you just take note and go, gosh, what do I feel? Where, where are my shoulders tense? Are my, my, my stomach, what's going on, et cetera? And sit with it for like 30 seconds. And then do some deep breathing for like a minute. And then go back and do that again. And you'll be like, oh my gosh, there's a lot going on in my body that just automatically is happening. I didn't even realize. So mm-hmm. I don't know what our time is, but I would say, try it. Try it. Noticing, doing a body scan, take one minute to do some intentional deep breathing and then do another body scan. And do you notice a difference? And if so, what's that difference for you? Also some practical tools. If you are that adult that even if you tried your hardest not to be like your explosive parent, but somehow it it just happened. I have plenty of clients that say I am zero to a hundred. I am triggered and I react. There's no space in between because that's what we work on. We work on putting space between the the trigger and the reaction. However, for some, they say there's no space. There's no space. With them, I work on just getting to know and building awareness on what are your triggers in general. If you know sitting in traffic is your trigger, if, if after a long day of work and seeing your kids in a messy house, if that is your trigger. Get to know your triggers and set yourself up for success ahead of time. Visualization of circumstances can help you mentally rehearse. So if in actual situations, you are triggered zero to a hundred and you're like, I I can't, you know, I have not been able to make any headway, actually doing a visualization of imagining the situation that triggers you and spending time imagining the way you want to respond and visualize it. Another way of saying that, like role-playing that in your mind kind of- Yeah. And practicing it. And the crazy thing is, is research has shown that what your brain focuses on your body feels. If Chris took us through that relaxation exercise and we imagined ourselves on a beach in Maui, our body would relax as long as you like beaches in Maui, you know, like if that's not your (laughs) They don't make you angry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I even read in some book about Michael Phelps, the swimmer that part of his training routine is visualization, not even in the pool. He visualizes his entire swim in his mind. Spend some time imagining the situation and imagining yourself responding the way you want to. And I'm kind of putting it together with what Taylor was asking is, is anger bad? And it sounds like maybe the answer is anger could have bad consequences if there isn't this space you're describing. Yes. So you said there's the trigger, there's maybe no space and this reaction And then what I also heard you say was this idea that if we can get that space to even a little bit grow and harness that even to more space, that's an interesting way to take it from anger's bad to anger is... Can be productive. Just is. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And doesn't have to result in everybody having negative consequences around you. Yes. It's a really practical... 
how many of us when controlling our anger has it actually led to something really productive you know where it it helped you feel motivated to correct an injustice or it helped you feel right. motivated to change a behavior maybe instead of beating yourself up you channel that into something that's productive that can be really good mm-hmm. like that these are really practical ways to learn how to express your anger get to mm-hmm. know yourself know your trigger even hearing you say like getting home from work in the house is messy. That could be something that could just so quickly slide by to your mindset, but to yeah. get to know that as a trigger or I'm trying, to, I'm trying to, I'll have to stop and think after we talk about what mine are. I've never thought about it like that. And there has to be some bodily awareness of what makes you anxious. You know, there's so often that I would have a parent bring a teen to therapy that says my kid has anger issues. Turns out that kid was highly anxious. And mm-hmm. is stressed all the time. And so if you're stressed all the time, you're quick to anger. Mm-hmm. You're in fight or flight. Wow. There's so much underneath the anger. Mm-hmm. We see the angry response. We hear the snarky comment. We hear the, the short tone in our loved one's voice. And we're like, ooh. But if we can be patient with that and get under it and, and be curious about, okay, you're, you don't normally talk to me like that. What's going on? We might find out that something bad happened at work and it has nothing to do with us. I loved the Aristotle quote in your last (laughs) podcast. So often we displace our anger. Mm -hmm. So maybe our boss yells at us at work and well, we can't yell back, we'll get fired, (laughs) but we can go home and yell at our kids, Mm. right? And that's unfortunate, Mm, but they're safer. It's safer to yell at our spouse. So often we are angry at the wrong person. For me, one thing that's been helpful, especially with just speaking to the stress part Having three kids at the same time was not very stressful for us. I mean, it was very easy. Just, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) Sarcasm is thick in the room today. It's hard to be this good of a parent. So so Chris, Chris, you're talking about your triplets. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, yeah, my, my, my little ladies. Yeah. Whatever the stresses might be, you know, if there's financial stresses, relational stresses, work stresses, I try not to tell my clients or work with my clients through things that I I wouldn't do myself. And so I practice this stuff, this mindfulness stuff. And the way that I practice it is I've, I've gotten to the point now after a few years where I can feel it in my stomach coming up my throat. And mm-hmm. I usually in those moments will have to literally just go, I just need to breathe the most productive thing that I can do right now is to focus on my breathing. It's it's saved me from the times where I have wanted to raise my voice or I'll raise my voice and go, nope, stop. I'll literally just cut it off right there. And no matter how I'm feeling, especially if it's like a displaced anger, or if my kid did something that made me feel frustrated, they do not deserve my response that that Mm. way, that I'm still responsible for my response. Even if my kid did something that I feel upset about. It's just like any new skill. I feel like when you go to the gym and you start lifting weights and you're looking at the person next to you who's bench pressing 300 more pounds, well, yeah, they didn't start there. And and so do you just think like, what's one thing you can do today? So if that's on the drive home, you visualize what you want to be like when you go home. I go to YouTube a lot and there's a, um, a breathing uh, thing. It's called feeling anxious, breathe in sync with this. And it's this little visual of an expanding and contracting shape. And I'll use that because I think that regulates the timing really well. And it, mm-hmm. it focuses my eyes really well. Those things really help. And then I do think that my kids need to see sometimes like things make us angry and it's okay to be angry. Right. Still does not mean that I'm go- going to, uh, you deserve to be yelled at, but, you know, or worse, but yeah, I think that's all part of it. You just triggered something in me when you talked about the person lifting 300 pounds, not that I could do that, but this competitive nature of like seeing someone do something really well and thinking to myself, which I'm sure Talk Talk will love, that I still think like this, (sighs) but I should be able to do this better. You know, what can we expect to happen if we don't start controlling our anger in a way that expresses it in a healthy way and not exploding on someone or worse? Oh, you're screwed. I wouldn't even try. (laughs) Great. I'll just keep up to my drink. Thanks. And I'll see you in your office in a few weeks. (laughs) No, you need to go tomorrow. I think Great. see a therapist for the next 20 years and you'll make 10% progress. That's what we want. Thank you. (laughs) No. So, so yeah, I, I think part of that is just a normalization in general. It's, it's normal to not get it all in one shot. There's many things in your life. I bet you could think of where you started at something and you weren't as good as the others, but I would actually encourage you to use that thinking in a positive way. Mm -hmm. Hey, I can think of other things in my life where I wasn't very good at something at first, but I got pretty good. That tells me, and this is something I try to instill my kids a lot and in myself when I feel overwhelmed 
is problems do have solutions. And just because it's hard now doesn't mean it will be hard forever. If you start trying some mindfulness or do a yoga class or whatever it might be, and you see the person next to you and they're literally floating off the ground in full zen, whatever, what makes you so different that you couldn't get into a really relaxed and calm place? It just might take time, but no, no athlete, no artist, no anyone got there without some hard work. And I think that's kind of similar metaphor I would use for this. <laughs> but you can do it. Thank you. You got this, Meredith. I love it. Yeah. So you you talked, Chris, a minute ago about kids and kids seeing you angry. Yeah. And one of the questions on our mind, especially these two, because they've got these little people. Mine are old. My kids are old. Tiny but people. So I've ruined them already. And so they'll be coming to the two of you. Yeah, cool. <laughs> so there's that. For people in the position where you have kids at home, what's what's okay to express? What are some guidelines yeah. There's really clear and obvious from the top guidelines, anger that's used to intimidate or make someone feel unsafe or to express it in a way physically that is unsafe is always off the table. There's just not any, any room for that. Even the studies that have continued to be produced about spanking, just not helping. It's not doing what we want it to do. I was spanked as a kid. I'm fine. But uh, yeah, I think everyone had their hands up there. Yeah. But at the same time, if, if I have the choice, there's other ways to do it because I want my kid to get curious about her anger. And so in terms of what I model to my kids for anger, that it's okay to feel mad, feeling mad's okay. And then I want, I want them to see when I get mad, that the big thing that I think, um, when this isn't in anger, it's after anger, is that repair is just as big of a deal as anything else. And so the ability to go and say, I apologize, I didn't handle that very well. I've, when I've raised my voice at my kids, you know, after a few minutes and I feel calm, I go, that was really, that was really crappy. And I need to go and apologize and say, that was not okay for me to do that. Because they need to learn that you can get mad, but also that it's okay to, you, you need to repair too. Mm-hmm. The, the, the Gottmans have this famous study where this couple is in, they're hooked up to all these like pulse oximeters and all these things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they argue with each other about something that they can't resolve. And then the researcher comes into the room and goes, I'm so sorry. Can you, you know what? Our machine broke. It's not working. Uh, here's a people magazine or watch a video on, you know, your, your phone or whatever. And we'll be back with you in, in a little bit. Of course, the machines work fine. Everything calms down. And they, re- they, they go out and say, okay, you guys continue with your argument. And then it gets resolved way quicker because they're not in that fight flight you know, state. And so wow. um, it's not just about you know, expressing anger in the moment. It's also about like self-soothing and, and those messages that are, it's okay to feel angry, but it's not okay to pull your sister's hair and it's not okay to, to scream and yell and everything. It, but if you need to go to your room, why don't you go to your room for a couple of minutes? Not because you're in trouble, but because that just might help you to feel a bit calm. Why don't you go grab a toy to play with for a little bit or, you know, or something that just takes your mind off of things. And then we'll, let's talk about this a little bit later about what made that really challenging or really difficult. I'd never heard that before that mm-hmm. learning about your anger and how to express it is the repair is just as important. Yeah. Hugely. That's I struggle with that a lot. Like, I mean, no one's perfect, you know, and I'm grateful for how I was raised, but I have, I took, it's taken me and I'm still learning how to do that because I, I didn't see it. Mm-hmm. How, how do you do the repair when you're angry, but it went the wrong direction? I think yeah. that's the, one of the harder ones that I see for couples to do is to be able to have something that you feel angry about and to get out of defensiveness and to accept some responsibility. That's a lot of ownership. Yeah. yeah, it takes a lot of vulnerability. That sounds like a huge part of that repair. Though. Yes. yes. And what I found in my experience with relationships with people that tend more on the explosive side of anger, the ownership of that anger is what stops the repair. Mm. Mm. And anyway, I, I'm curious because uh, my, my child is, I don't know, she smiles. That's what she does. She's <laughs> tiny. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I have this nervousness of like, how am I going to show her how to reconcile things? I, mm. I want to do this. Well, I want, I don't want mm. her to see, perf- we're not perfect. Of course we're not, but I don't want to close the door and have her never see me have a disagreement with my partner and her father. Mm. But I want her to see that, that the people can be in a relationship, be angry and still be respectful and kind to one another yes. and have resolutions. Yes. So often I see with parents, like if your child runs out into the street, you know, the response is, what are you doing? You know, like it's a, it's an angry response. Your child perceives that as anger. 
And so to be able to say, I'm so, so sorry, mommy was scared. Mommy was worried. Mm. I'm so sorry I had that response. And actually, and we can show that like, I wasn't angry. I'm not angry. I'm so glad you're safe. But you'd be able to express sometimes what looks like anger that might be a different feeling. So that's expand. pretty interesting because we talked yeah. about the anger showing up, and but there's this underlying fear or irritability mm-hmm. or what you know, whatever that is. So that's a really interesting strategy to force ourselves as parents to say, I won't just show them the surface anger. Mm-hmm. I'll try to peel it back and say, in that moment, I was scared or I was yes. afraid this would yes. happen or I was uncertain about this experience or whatever. Mm-hmm. And revealing a little more, it's, that's a pretty interesting strategy. I haven't heard that before. Yeah, yeah, know yourself sounds like again back to what you said before, Kira. Right. You have to know yeah. your triggers. <laughs> yes, yes. There's a lot of value uh, in that for sure. Oh yeah, knowing triggers I think is so important because when you know a stressful event is coming, yes, I've learned to communicate. Hey, we have this thing happening, so I need this, this, and this done. Otherwise, I know that I'm not going to respond well to that. Yeah, like something a big event is going to be happening. I feel like I've been trying to communicate that. And then as a parent this week, I've been learning when I'm most angry and you like want to scream and yell to do the opposite and whisper (laughs) really gets attention. This is like a practical thing I've practiced because I'm like the yelling. That was not a part of mine and my husband's relationship. That was not how we Mm -hmm. talked to each other. And I was like, oh, we're going to be great parents. (laughs) And then the kids came and I was like, wow, all I want to do is just yell. (laughs) So instead I whisper. And I think it communicates how serious I am, but also, I I don't know, it tends to go a little bit better. That's my practical note that I've just implemented. Actually, I'm going to steal that, but it reminds me that when you talk quieter, when someone else is yelling, you're actually controlling the tone of the conversation better. They're forced to come down to you more rather than you going up to them and then it escalates further. When you can resist that impulse, it's great, but you're essentially mm-hmm. swallowing all of that inside. And it, I think those are opportunities for then you to explore of, do I feel like my kid has to be perfect and listen to my directions all the time? And that's, what's making me feel angry. Cause I'm not in control, you know, yes. uh, like how do they not get it? Because I've given you this task five times and you're not listening. And it's literally just to something very basic. Yeah. And I feel like you're not listening to me. So I feel really disrespected or like I'm a bad parent. And then when you get curious about that stuff, you, then you get to go, oh, okay, well, I got some stuff in me that I can work on as well. Mm-hmm. Um, my kids all express anger, but one of my kids gets really flooded really quick. There's no point as a parent in trying to rationalize with a, a seven-year-old, especially when they're that age. Mm-hmm. And so even the questions that we ask are about trying to get them to be ex- name that feeling and then say that feeling because it's all, it's all new territory. Usually I think it's really goes to physiological self-soothing before I go to any kind of language type stuff. This made me think of a story. Uh, I don't know why all of my fights with my husband occur in our car. I don't know why that is, but oh, all yeah. of them seem to. Great place. Um, Trapped. So there's two separate stories, but they're related. So the first one, I was feeling so proud of myself because we were getting into an argument and my husband was, my husband's from a family of yellers and he was raising his voice. I'm from a family of passive aggressives, so we don't talk about anything. And I said, I'm beginning to feel threatened. If you want to continue having this conversation, I'm going to need you to lower the volume of your voice, or we're going to need to do this another time. And I was so proud of myself, you know, like, yeah, right. (laughs) And then no kidding, a week later, this is so uncharacteristic of me. When it comes to fight or flight, I'm flight and he's fight. And so he wants to like keep fighting and I want to get out of there. Right. So he's just talking at me and I'm just seething. And eventually I just say, right, because I'm such a fucking bitch at the top of my lungs. And this is so uncharacteristic of me. We both just stood there. After I just said that, right? The week before I had this eloquent communication of I'm feeling threatened. I need you to lower your voice if you want to continue. Like I was setting boundaries. It worked out amazingly. And then I just lost my shit. Um, So nice to know you're here. I love it. (laughs) But always in the car, always in the car. I think that's my trigger. It's the car. (laughs) (laughs) Do you see differences between men and women on anger? And what are your 
observations about that? I believe we are socialized differently. And we think about anger being a masculine emotion. Mm -hmm. It's not. We have the same limbic system. But yet in our culture, we definitely see anger as a masculine trait. We allow it in men more than I feel like we mm-hmm. make allowances for it in women. And then mm-hmm. women, we are we tend to be more the people pleasers where we stay silent, look pretty, you know, mm-hmm. be as small as you possibly can. Don't take up space. And so absolutely, I think there's differences. And my hope for this is that as we teach our young boys an emotional vocabulary and how to express their emotions and that they can feel hurt and they can feel sad and they can have a range of emotions and they're not looked at as being a sissy for having these emotions. As we teach them how to express them better, they won't have a one note emotional range, right? Like they won't (laughs) just have anger, which I feel like a lot of, of men, in order to not be a pussy, they just feel angry and that's all they're allowed to feel. Mm. Um, Does that resonate? Cheers to the guys doing well at that. I don't know. I think about my brothers doing good at that with my nephew. It makes me happy. Yeah. 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 I'm not aware of any studies or anything that suggests that in terms of biological differences of the genders that lend themselves to different expressions of anger, it's the same limbic system. I think it's an unfortunate cultural construct that when men get angry, if anything, I've been encouraged to be more angry because, you know, don't be, don't be a soft, you know, person and and seen as noble or maybe even righteous to be angry. Mm -hmm. Whereas women are, you're just a bitch. You're just being a bitch and Mm -hmm. you're being naggy. Yeah. Yeah. Or you're, you know, well, what's the matter, Karen? You know, like, that's the other <laughs> one, right? which that term Karen is just super derogatory. The, yeah, the yeah it really is. Oh my god, I feel gosh, really that, bad for my friends named Karen. Yeah. Like it's, it started <laughs> off sucks. as kind of like, oh, that, that seems like kind of a humorous off what it's it morphed into something. So just, I feel like just offensive, but I, I don't know. Um, yeah. But I, I think uh, the social piece of it is, is that I think I have it a lot easier. The men have it a lot easier than women on this one. And and yet I don't think you do because you're not allowed to have certain emotions. So right. the, men, the men I see in my practice, oh my gosh, it's like starting at square one of not even being able to identify what they're feeling. It's some real remedial work. And I just think of the disservice we've done to our men. All they've got is anger. They haven't been allowed to feel anything else mm-hmm. or they're shamed for it if they do. A lot of men are stuck as seven-year-olds, and yeah. uh, that's that's the, that's the thing to learn to grow in. Meredith, what you were saying earlier, right? go try this and fail 10 times. Let yourself just fail 10 times today and get over the fact that you're going to fail it because you, you're not only going to fail, you're going to do really well too. And I think for guys that need to name their anger for you know parenting our kids or any of this stuff, it's okay. We're, we're all going to screw it up. Do you have ways that we should be expressing anger? How do we do this? Anger creates this energy in you, right? Like this, it's uncomfortable and you want it out. To me, it's more of a finding an energy outlet. Let that energy out, which mm. rage mm. rooms are so cool. Yeah. Go to, go to the dollar store and smash, smash some stuff, you know? Um, not so in the store at home. Not- <laughs> buy it to get home. Yes. yes, good, good note. But getting that angry energy out. Yeah, hmm. I totally it, agree. It doesn't it, hurt it, yourself or someone else. Correct. Yeah, that's like, yeah, that's yes. good. Yeah, correct. Definitely. God always had those disclaimers. I've heard some of these things so many times that they feel disingenuous, but mm. they really work. Exercising is is huge. Like being able to go lift, to run. I think mm-hmm. art's a big deal. We need things that aren't language that express what we yes. feel. So mm. whether wow. that's painting, drawing. I like writing letters that you don't send. I, get, <laughs> I worked with someone a long time ago who felt really betrayed by a, a friend. And so they went to one person and that person was like, well, here's the thing you can say. And so this person communicated, you know, well, I'm really sorry for what happened. And I could have, you know, blah, blah, blah. And just really apologized and all this stuff. And I said, write the letter that, that says what you really want to say to this person and just don't send it to them. That's the only rule. Like, okay, mm-hmm. got it. So I get a call like 30 minutes later, um, Christopher, I'm in Starbucks. Let me read you the first three lines of this letter. <laughs> Listen, you fucking bitch. Like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> this is someone who would never use that language. And, yes, and I was like, yes, good for you. Yes. And and because it, it's like, oh no, like get it out, you know? Yeah. And you're not harming somebody by journaling essentially something that you feel. 
and then I find that a lot of people will write these things and they'll go, okay, now that I've kind of gotten it out. Now I'm going to access this other part of my brain and go, what do I want to do here? What boundary do I need to put up? Or do I need to communicate anything? And what do I want to communicate? And the first letter is what allows you to get access to your wise brain again, because Mm. you need permission to be able to express that and how you're actually feeling. I am appalled appalled by some of the really mean things that I think about, <laughs> like, how, you know, like, but I know that I would never actually say them, but I know that I need to get, I need to think it. I mm-hmm. need to be able to allow myself and give myself permission of, yeah, this is how ugly I actually feel right now. This is how badly I'm hurt. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you just reminded me there's a comedian that talks about that, that if you're somebody that just naturally thinks good thoughts, then he thinks, you're not as good of a person because if you have bad thoughts and you have to work hard at being a yeah, good person. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I think that first letter is what allows you to write the third or fourth or fifth letter that you actually can send. It's work through the process of, okay, I have some things to own too. Okay, you're not the worst person in the world. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. I, I wrote like, a, I don't, I've talked about this before with you, Taylor. I wrote like four letters before with, with a therapist many years ago. And I think it was the fourth rendition that I gave yeah. to my first husband. And it was part of what, thankfully, through good expressions of anger, led me to leave that relationship. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm glad I didn't give the first draft. It was real yeah. bad. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, like moving through those drafts are good things. That's a good, that's a good uh, tool. Haven't we different. all done that where you have the write the angry email and then you think don't send that's right and then you come back to it and you think oh my god i almost sent that the yeah. key like the that key would is, have been really bad the key is never write their address in the address line don't ever <laughs> write their address you don't like yeah. it won't get sent if you don't write the address in yeah the like line. write your own email address or something yes yes to get it to oh, save yeah yes that's good but i mean that that also really speaks to the the parts of our brain that are working together in that moment usually unless you're in immediate danger and immediate threat, the reactions that we have, we go, I, I know that, that if I can take a minute and, and in that Gottman example, they say, no, I think it's no less than 24 minutes when you're, when you're really keyed up mm. and no more than 24 hours. Uh, it's, it's, some, mm. it's something like it's around the, that, that time frame. It could be 20 minutes, 24 hours. But the idea is Give yourself permission to say, I need to come back to this later. Mm. I don't want to purposefully hit send on something and go, oh, I should not have sent that. Now this has just gotten a lot worse. When we're talking about like what's bad about anger, I do think if you're holding on to resentment, a sense mm. of an anger that's that's just sort of paying rent in your soul somewhere, there is a time where it's like, we need to, we need to get into that. And I do think that ultimately, if it were all things being equal, I think we're trying to generally move towards a place of forgiveness when, when we've been offended. What I mean by that is not reconciliation, but a sense Mm -hmm. of, and I may have to forgive you for my sake, not for you. A colleague of mine who only works with couples going through infidelity and betrayal, um, there's a lot of anger there. And that's, that is literally the only individuals that he works with. And when he talks about the forgiveness process and what that is for people, you don't bring anger out in a real tangible way and an expressive way then this is kind of pointless. And mm-hmm. and I do think that, but ultimately he's doing that to get someone to, okay, now what? Is mm-hmm. is there a relationship that can, there can be some reconciliation and some people may have to reconcile, but they're not ready to forgive or they're ready to forgive, but they're not ready to reconcile. And that, that can be pretty complicated. Mm-hmm. Amazing. We did a series on forgiveness and it's still one of my favorites. Nice. Like, it's so practical, but I'm wondering what can we expect if we don't, express this anger or what we do. I don't know if there's links to alcoholism or addiction or divorce rates or just, are you a lonely person because you have no relationships left? What's going to happen to us? <laughs> Look, if you don't express this. Yeah, what do we, if we're well, not doing something about it, if we don't Like learn, what's a consequence yeah. of not learning how to express anger in a way that's healthy? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Well, if I had high blood pressure every day for the rest of my life, that probably wouldn't do too well for the deterioration of my body. In a very practical sense, what anger does to us emotionally and in how it translates physically, 
it's it's going to create a lot of wear and tear just in general and then and health issues later on down the line just from from that piece of things in terms of consequences there's just pragmatically like your body's just not going to hold up if this is what you're holding inside all the time you got to you got to mm. get this out some way in some way that's cool we we should work on on you doing that for your own health and for your own well-being let alone eroding your relationships like you know <laughs> whether whether it's explosive anger or anger directed inwards you know the, that just mm-hmm. festers into resentment that erodes relationships over time once or twice isn't going to do it but you, year after year yeah yeah so it'll, it'll make you sick and it'll make you lonely yeah it'll make you sick and make lonely yes it's interesting i it, i just think that there's so much that is easy to sort of say, well, I'm fine today. I'm fine today. But, you know, your speech is fast and your thoughts are scattered and all of mm-hmm. that. And it's like, well, physically, you don't seem like you're doing too hot right now, even though you're insisting that you are. You know, actually, my husband is helpful in pointing that out. Sometimes he notices that I'm anxious before I'm aware of it. I eat really fast when I'm anxious. And he's like, are you are you okay? You're eating really fast. And just that that pointing it out, it causes me to check in with myself. Oh, I am anxious. And now I have an opportunity to like breathe and slow down. But man, anxiety, I am so familiar with anxiety that it's like breathing to me. And he notices it before I do because I'm so used to feeling it. Maybe the people around us, if they can do it in a loving way, (laughs) can help us to with some of that self-awareness of what we're feeling and when we're when we might be on the edge. Yeah, be defensive. So go back to defensiveness episode. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that seems like pretty mature strategy. I would say that's probably more rare than it is common for people to do what you just described. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's it's true. pretty. I mean, yeah. it's great. It's a goal. Yeah. Yeah. We all want to be like Carrie. <laughs> we be like uh, Carrie when we grow up. I want to be like my husband. He, <laughs> he's just an incredible person. On this topic of anger and emotional expression, do you have any books, TED Talks, YouTubes you would recommend? I was going to mention it earlier. There is a fantastic Happify video. It's a short. It's an animated short on mindfulness. Man, I love it. I use it in so many of my talks. But um, Happify mm-hmm. mindfulness short would be what I would put in the in the search bar. I still learn best by cartoon. I don't know about you, but um, <laughs> you know it keeps my attention, and I learn something from it. So I love that. Another podcast that I've been enjoying has been the Happiness Lab. And then I have a couple books, but I'll let I'll let Chris go. Yeah, I don't I don't have anything too specific. So I'm gonna just say what what she said. <laughs> so as far as for parenting, this whole issue with parenting, parenting from the inside out by Daniel Siegel. That's that right. is gonna help you understand your triggers, your own history. And so you know it'll help you understand your own triggers that like when you see your kid, your own kids doing it, and being able to use mindfulness practices to kind of help mediate your reactions. Good recommendation, Carrie. Thank you. It's a classic. Good old Dan Siegel. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Well, thank you so much, you guys. I know Chris personally, and I'm so excited to now know you, Carrie, and learn from you both. Teach me your ways. I feel like I still have so much to learn. (laughs) We all do all the time. No, really. Thank you guys so much. There's so so many things you've said that I, I want to, I want to learn my triggers, create the space, identify where it is. I yeah. really mm-hmm. connected to that. Like, mm-hmm. where is this in my body? And like, feel that like yeah. coming out at me. Mm-hmm. It's you? funny. I, I did a yoga class this morning. and was thinking about you guys, but now when I do that, I'm going to think, I want to get to know that part of myself a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And like you said too, Carrie, I also think of ways of expressing it, like getting it, you have to get it out of you. I resist yeah. it. So yeah. knowing how I feel it and how to get it out of me, but and also- then- reconcile when yeah. you've got it out repair. the wrong way well repair. i love yeah. that about repair sorry repair. Yes, repair about teaching children and yourself that the feeling and the expression is just as important as repairing it i never thought about that before really mm-hmm. thank you guys so much yeah. thank you thank yeah. you yeah cheers to you guys I like on that, that one i love that good well all right thanks for being here thanks thank bye. bye bye Once again, thank you for joining us today. Please remember to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. And thank you for listening to Asking for a Friend. Let us know what you thought of the episode. Our email is hello at afafpodcast.com. This show is for educational purposes only and is copyrighted. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting. Thanks for listening to Asking for a Friend with Talk Talk.